what made me feel really good is, you know, you're doing something a little new in a community and you know, you kind of don't really know how people are going to take it. And not, not one, not one person was like, Oh man, you guys are doing, you guys are doing the Airbnbs out here. We're going to get a lot more traffic and, uh, you know, not one negative comment. It was all like, Oh wow. We've been watching these. We've been super excited and curious and, it was very, very positive, which, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety there at, at the start. And it, it felt really good to hear that the community actually was supportive, totally supportive of it. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a minute, you'll meet Eli Clark and Alexa Lang from Clark Family Silos. Eli grew up on a farm in Callisville, Montana, about 30 minutes outside of Whitefish in the northwestern part of the state. After studying design in college, he moved to Carlsbad, California to work at a design firm where he got the opportunity to work on a couple of Adidas' leading product lines. But Eli wasn't satisfied with the 9 to 5. So he bought an Airstream and embraced the freelance digital nomad lifestyle before it was the cool thing to do. Instagram wasn't even around yet, in fact, so you won't find any of his posts trending in hashtag wonderlust. About a decade later, Eli's father, Rad, the Clark family's farmer-in-chief, was eyeing retirement. Over drinks in a local town pub one evening, Eli and his partner Alexa pitched an idea to Brad that would make stepping back from the farm a bit more possible. And that idea? It was to transform five grain silos into luxurious Airbnbs. The problem? Well, while Clark family farms had fields of canola, peas, and wheat, depending on the season, they didn't own a single silo. Tune in to hear the exciting story of how Eli, Alexa, the Clark family, and ultimately the entire Callispell community came together to erect some of the most inspiring and unique stays available on the Airbnb platform. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Zach here, and today I am sitting down with Eli and Alexa from Clark Family Silos. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. us. I was, uh, we were just remarking that uh, while unfortunately we're not in person, we have the crickets in the background coming in from uh, Eli and Alexa's track there. So it sounds like we're sitting around a campfire together and having this conversation. Next time we meet, we'll we'll have to do a, a second interview in person. But alas, uh, today we'll have to we'll have to be okay with Zoom. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, great guys. Hey, thanks for so much for sitting down with me, and really excited to dive into our conversation today. So, my wife and I have spent by this point, probably hundreds of hours, at least it feels like hundreds of hours, looking for different Airbnbs as a part of a little side hustle that we have um, called Spontaneous. And 
since September of last year, we've actually been staying in Airbnbs. And so we've been in really cool A-frames, we've stayed in cool apartment complexes, we've stayed on other farms, but we've never stayed in a place uh, such as yours, which is a grain silo that you all have transformed into this really gorgeous um, Airbnb. And so I'm, I'm curious, I, I have to ask, what inspired this Airbnb? Uh, where did the idea come from? And talk to us, if you wouldn't mind, Eli, a little bit about what the process looked like to, to bring it to life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's, I think it was just uh, a lot of, you know, family conversations over the years. And um, I think, you know, it was just one of those things where we talked about doing kind of a hospitality situation and, hmm. and uh, we wanted to do something very, very low key, kind of non-obtrusive on the farm, especially because it's, you know, it's family land. It's, dear to us and we were also thinking about the neighbors a little bit too though we do have some people that live around and we're out in the country and we didn't want it to just be typical little cabins you know hmm. we've yeah. got beautiful views out here and we didn't want to bother anybody with just your average little log cabin i think this something that would fit in with the landscape right so like if people were driving by um on the, on the farm road, just outside the, the silos. Um, at first glance, they might not even recognize that they were, there were dwellings or Airbnbs. It was just part of the farm. So I think a really low profile footprint and, um, just something unique to the area and just, you know, a, <laughs> a wild idea we had, you know, I think I, we've got this, I personally, I've always had this fascination with, metal structures right so old grain elevators um silos i think just along the landscape i've always been drawn to them so mm. it felt natural to kind of include that um as part of the the farm landscape so was there was there something that inspired you you said you had thought about this and the family had talked about it for years what was sort of the uh impetus for starting now Right. Was there a particular moment or conversation that just it, it felt right? Was it uh, somebody deciding it's it's kind of like now or never? Or how did you guys decide? What were the I guess the conversations that led to deciding to to launch this space uh, very recently? You know, I think um, a lot of it came from you know my my dad. He was getting kind of ready to retire, and he was looking for maybe another avenue um you know to to spend some time and be involved with and um we're like well let's do it let's 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 get her let's get her let's get her done and build some some silos out there and like you know after all kinds of conversations and napkin sketches and uh, i actually have one of the napkin yeah. sketches <laughs> yeah. so oh, do we were you? sitting in this divey old bar yeah out in where is that? Where's Trixie's? Oh, yeah. Ovando. We're in Ovando, Montana, which is this weird, teeny little town that probably has 13 people in it. And I don't know where we were going. But we stopped in for lunch and I still have the little sketch of it. And it's pretty cool to see how it's actually evolved from that sketch. Even like the placement 
of the five grain bins on the land and how we were going to orient it in the beginning versus how it actually ended up. Wow. Yep. And I, I think ultimately it was, yeah, looking towards the future, right? So our farm is relatively small. We don't have a massive amount of acreage. So the farming scene is, while it's um, romantic and, and beautiful and it's, it's, it's kind of wonderful to keep that heritage alive, we literally have, you know, a handful of cattle on the property and maybe a hundred acres of, of crop and, um, you know, looking towards further generations, I think maybe making something a little, a little bit more sustainable and lucrative, um, you know, and, and sharing experience really hmm. with other people is, was kind of the goal. So, and, uh, what crops do you all have on the farm? It's a, it's a rotational thing. So to keep the soil healthy, uh, it's a rotation between wheat and canola and peas. So it's, it's actually pretty wonderful, the colors you get every year. The canola is this bright, gorgeous yellow bloom. The peas are um, a really nice white bloom. And then the wheat is just this, you know, classic rolling, wavy, wavy rolling ocean of wheat. So it's all, it's actually a surprise to us every year because we're like, oh man, what do, what do we have growing this year? Because <laughs> we don't personally farm the land. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we lease, uh, kind of like, it's kind of like a crop share situation to a, a local farmer, Bob Snell, who's been doing it for years. Um, I think he's been farming this land for 30 years and about the best guy you can get. So love it. Love it. So you guys are at a bar, you are sketching out what these silos could possibly look like. And then, right, as I understand it, you all don't have silos. They weren't on the property already. So how did you go about finding these silos and transporting them back to the farm? <laughs> so Alexa gives me a hard time. I'm a, I can be a little bit of a a Craigslist junkie at times. He is an addict. <laughs> Not an addict, but you know, morning cup of coffee. Every morning kinda... at 10 a.m., I can expect that he is at his computer looking for an old motorcycle, an old car, this time an old grain silo. <laughs> so some people some people so like... scroll on Instagram, you scroll on Craigslist. Craigslist, yep. I like to do a little bit of I like to do a little bit of research. So I think ultimately how it all came about is um doing doing some searching for silos all you know across eastern montana and they they are here and there so i found i didn't find a silo for sale but i found um an a, a listing for someone that wanted to purchase a small silo for like a, a little gazebo kind of a situation which we we've seen out there here and there and uh I responded back to this particular fellow and was like, well, you're not necessarily, we don't have a small silo for sale, but we're kind of looking for somebody to take down old silos and re-erect old silos. Because <laughs> totally new to this, you know, how do you, how do you find somebody that wants to take down old silos? It's and it's transport like, and transport them. It's a yeah, kind of a lost art these days, you know? Um, that was probably harder than finding the silo itself, you think? A thousand percent, yeah. So we found 
the right people. <laughs> like it was a, a father and son team out of Helena, Montana. And uh, just salt of the earth type of folks, right? So they're the kind of guys that can pretty much do anything. Um, anyway, that, you know, we had some, some great phone conversations and um, I, should, I should go back one step. We, we had lined up these five grain silos out of Coeur d'Alene, um, just on an old farm outside of Coeur d'Alene, Montana. Okay. Uh, that was, you know, through some, <laughs> some previous Craigslist searches. Um, but we, we found them, uh, super reasonable. They, they have been, you know, they've been working on the farm for, you know, some odd 50 years. And I think the current landowner just wanted them moved, you know, for, for other kind of construction pro- projects. And, and just to be clear, uh-huh. the, these were, these were like fully erected on this other farm. They're, they weren't, they yeah. hadn't already been deconstructed. Okay. So they're, they're there yeah. and you found them and they then you. And then you had to go and find. They had been in operation. Okay. Okay. So they had been in full operation, and so then you. There had... was still grain in them. There yeah. was still grain in them. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did this guy? I, yeah. I imagine he must have thought like, "What is this Eli guy asking?" Like, because you found the you found the silos first, then you had to go find the team to help go down there, deconstruct them, move presumably right. remove the grain from the silos. Did this guy think you were nuts or how did how did he react? <laughs> to the to the fellow that was gonna take him down for me? Is yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was all about it. He was like, well, I mean way, way more I feel like we're pretty pretty Montana, you know, we're we're Montana folks. He was a hundred percent just just old school Montana guy. And he, he was up for the task. You know, um, you were asking if, if that guy thought Eli was crazy. I actually thought <laughs> Eli was crazy for a while because before finding those on Craigslist, there were a few times where, you know, we live out where there's a lot of farming. And so we see these, we see the grain bins like around on people's properties. And we're like, Ooh, I wonder if those are being used at all. So a couple of times he went, two people's properties to ask if he could buy their grain bins. <laughs> and oh I went gosh. with one time. I, it was not a great situation. I mean, you know, so, some reactions were like, well, what the hell for, you know, like, what are you going to use it for? And, and like, Sorry. it like, doesn't make any sense to yeah, re-erect like, yeah. a grain bin on your property to store grain. Cause there's not a ton of people are doing that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're probably thinking but, like, what does this guy know that we don't know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, there were some kind of old school boys that were like, uh, well, what the hell would you want to do that for? You know? But anyway, to go back, um, what do we go back to? Sorry, I interrupted. You had, you had found the father and son duo that could go yeah. and deconstruct the silo. Um, and then that's, that's where you were. Yeah, so they were they were all for it, um, and they. Uh, what month was this? Yeah, this was. So I think we put the well in 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 March, and then I think they were on the road to the farm outside of Coeur d'Alene in um, early June to go pick up the silos, and so they they hauled their trailer over there. Uh, lined up a, a great all for them and they spent about 
I think it was about three or four days to, to break them all down. I think Father's Day was when they were here putting them up mm-hmm. last year. Yep. Yep. So they, um, they were over there doing their thing and um, we were kind of in close contact and they sent me a lot of photos of how the operation was going and pretty flawless, but it was, <laughs> it was slightly humorous because when they showed up the first day, there was still grain in two of the silos. There was a miscommunication between the owner and the farmer. And, and so it was a total hustle and bustle to, to get over there and remove the grain before we could actually take the silos down. So, um, but they, yeah, they, they got her done and it's, it was actually quite amazing when they showed up literally a couple days later, five silos on a trailer looks like nothing it's like a stack of it's like five stacks of pringles it's it's quite quite remarkable like these big round cylindrical structures um when you take them apart piece by piece they kind of come back down pretty nicely wow so they get to the farm and then what happens how do you go about like are you have you figured out at this particular juncture like where each silo is going to go have you mapped out like were the fire pits there yet or how talk to us a little bit about what happens from the time that the materials arrive to having these structures operational so that someone could actually stay in them. Yeah. There are probably a few more napkin sketches that happened in between. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we walked the property a lot, um, kind of a lot of feel, measuring. Yeah. A lot of, measuring kind of feeling out the distance from the road uh, the best view of the mountains um decided to stagger them so that you weren't looking directly at your neighbor yeah so typically that's a good point um traditionally silos are all in a straight row pretty tightly knit together and one of the huge uh contributions my folks had was be like, well, how about how about we stagger these so huh. you know two are back, three are in the front. Because uh, when you when you're on your on the little patio, you look over to your left and right, and you don't see your neighbors directly, which was huge. Because yeah. all along, I was straight on, traditionally thinking, now they got to be in a row. It's got to look like straight up silos were here, planted here. They've been here forever. But I think with just a little juxtaposition. Uh, it made all the difference in kind of the, the privacy of each dwelling. So, so huge props to the folks on that one. Yeah. And I, I can confirm that too. Having stayed in silo number four, it was really neat because you, you felt while you knew there were other people around, it still kind of felt like your own space. Um, and it was nice to be able to quickly relate with, uh, neighbors and get, you know, a quick crash course on where they were from and what they were up to, but then also sort of feel like, they had their area, we had ours. The way that you guys spread out the fire pits too, um, in particular, I thought were just, it was so well done, so well mapped out and planned. Um, and, you know, we, we couldn't help but no, notice that this must have been intentional. So uh, well done on that front. So how do you go about, like, were there any construction challenges? Like you take materials off the truck, the father-son duo just kind of get to work and everything goes perfectly or any obstacles that you ran into along the way? <laughs> Perfectly. That's great. Um, so 
<laughs> just from the start of like uh, silo, like erection, right? So the the build up of the silos off the trailer onto the concrete um, slabs. Um, pre pretty exciting because it was in in the spring, so we get some pretty decent weird weather storms rolling through in the spring. It's okay, just like a little micro here and there. It looks beautiful one second. Pretty and then <laughs> five minutes later, you see this this rough looking cloud rolling in and you're like, hmm. So half of the silo is hanging from an excavator at this point. <laughs> and we got it. We better get some straps and some, some anchors and hook it down to the earth like real quick because these things swimming up, you know, swinging on an excavator. It's it's like a it's like a pop can. Um mm. So that was exciting at the start. We we didn't have any major catastrophes, but there were definitely a few nights where um, the boys that were helping us out they they strapped them down completely, really really hardy to the earth, uh, just because we had storms rolling through and getting ready for the next day. <laughs> but Eli lost a, a little bit of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds like it. But. Yeah, they all they all went up. They all went up in one piece. It took them about ten days to fully erect um, five silos, and and then it was on to the next phase. Wow, that's impressive. Ten days um, from from soup to nuts. There, that's that's remarkable. So, Alexa, you know, when we walked into our silo, we couldn't help but notice just how beautiful the interior was the staircase was you know one of the things we noticed first on um, this really cool kind of uh staircase that that lines sort of the left side of the silo and you know you walk up the staircase into sort of the loft bedroom um i'm curious can you walk us through how you decided to design the space and we were expecting it to feel a little bit more uh farm-like and it actually felt uh, a little bit more minimalist, a little bit more uh, Scandinavian in style, which we really appreciated. And it it felt different and unique. So walk us through sort of how you, once these uh, structures were erected, how you thought about uh, styling them in a way that would be attractive to prospective guests. Yeah, well, all the structural and like architectural things, that, that was actually Eli and then our builder, Cal, um, we did make some pretty cool decisions together, like that, the countertops in the main room, those big yeah. slabs of wood. Um, that's a cool story that you should tell them in a little bit, but Ooh, yeah, we'll, but touch, we'll touch on that one for sure. I was like, man, it would be really cool if we burned these. There's a Japanese technique. I can't think of suji, I think is the word where they, they burn the wood and we just didn't really have like time for that so we ended up staining them black which was still very striking we kind of made those calls together I did more of um the decor um that kind of stuff but it's funny how it evolved because we took a trip when this was just an idea before anything started we went out to the Oregon coast and did a bunch of picking and antiquing Hmm. We really thought that they were going to be a lot more country feel um, because naturally they're farming, they're silos on a farm. So yeah. we thought, and our home is, it's very industrial, lots of old metal signs, cool stuff like that. So 
we went and we picked a lot of things out to fill the silos with of that nature. And then as we started kind of moving along the process, for some reason, I just started to gravitate away from that and more towards clean, simple. I think it's pretty neat because it's unexpected to walk into these old circular structures and come into something very modern. Yeah. Yeah. I think what both of you guys said, like what you kind of expected what she elaborated on, um, they completely took on their own personality and mm. which was really cool. Like for us too, because yeah, we were totally thinking of doing some more like kind of farmy antiques in there. And we're like, you know what? These things are so clean and the walls, the white walls. And I think just the clarity um, of that space felt right, you know, and we didn't want to take away from that. So Yeah. And your focal point really should be the view. So yeah. I think that's part of it too, is there's a huge, huge window in the upstairs loft and that's really what makes that place special. So we didn't want to distract from that with a bunch of clutter. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I can confirm sort of like waking up and the first thing you see is the mountains and it's just gorgeous outside and there's tons of natural light and uh as you as you mentioned this just massive window and i i do think you guys struck a really good balance between making the space feel uh exciting to live in um and and comfortable and welcoming and inspiring but also as, as you've just alluded to ensuring that it was clear that the real inspiration was outside, right? Like what it was really about was getting out of the doors and sitting by the fireplace, exploring the property and just experiencing the, the beauty, the, the majesty of, uh, this, this beautiful town in, in Montana. So you guys, you guys nailed that. So well done. Well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm curious. So neither of you, uh, from my understanding anyways, have, run airbnbs before so how did you go about it's one thing to design cool structures right it's another thing to be able to pick out cool throw pillows and countertops and dishware to make the space feel attractive and exciting it's another thing to figure out how to do how to you know be a player in the hospitality business so how did you guys go about figuring out how to do that well at first, um, Eli thought he was going to just dive right in and do it, do it up. And I think he <laughs> could have done it, but we, we do happen to know a really fantastic property manager here in town. She's a local gal. She handles a minimal amount of properties, but she does an incredible job. We couldn't do it yeah, without I was, her. <laughs> I was maybe, maybe a little bit naive. <laughs> I'm thinking, that, I'm thinking like, oh man, we got this, you know, um, not a big deal. We can, we can handle, we can handle it. But yeah, after conversations with some friends and, and with her, um, we're just like, wow, like we really do need a special person on the team that, um, is willing to kind of make those check-ins at 10 in the morning be like, Hey, how's everything going? And if, you know, shoot. I think what it really boiled down to is like if we're if we're out camping somewhere, and um, we, we, we get a question, we get a question or a concern, you cannot let that 
um, that question go, go beyond like a few minutes. Right. So yeah. pe- people need to know, they, I think to feel to welcome and secure in the space, um, you got to have somebody pretty on top of it. And, and while we're, you know, for the majority of the time we're here on close to the property, um, and we can handle a lot of things like, um, Alyssa, our property manager is like totally on just, ball. just, yeah killing it she's she's so awesome and you know we actually we were contacted by some larger property management companies some more chain companies but really when we sat down and talked about it because we kind of went back and forth on what to do um we decided that we really liked who we knew who the guest was going to be in contact with we knew exactly who was going to be answering their questions who would be checking in on them helping with whatever they needed help with we liked that idea better than just whoever the company wanted to toss them to that day yeah and ultimately i mean she feels like part of the family now and it's like this is a it's a family ordeal right so it's on family land it's like very dear to us it's a little more personal and emotional i think versus just going out and doing this endeavor on a a random you know, five, 10 acre plot of land that you find it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's close to home. So, um, to have somebody, I think that takes care of people that way makes us feel really good. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And you know, we're, we're still pretty involved. Like it's fun to go down there and, and, and meet folks and say hello. Cause I think that's really part of, um, the coolest thing about this whole thing is meeting people in their travels and just being able to, to, to hear a story from some other people's journeys um, and then share this experience and, and to hear that they have a nice experience here is like pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on that note too, I can, I can confirm having stayed in a few, most of the Airbnbs that we've stayed in have been managed by the the owners themselves, um, and then occasionally, I, really only a handful of times, we've stayed in properties where a management company, um, who you know, it's not a name, it's you know, Vacasa Properties or whatever it is, and uh, those experiences do feel really different, right? Even if the space is neat, the the customer service component, sort of like the what you expect as as a guest um, from from your host is it, it always falls short um, in my experience when it's a a property management company sort of running uh, running the show so I think that your guys' decision there with bringing on Alyssa was so wise and and you know cheers to Alyssa she was fantastic and super helpful and accommodating and went over and above to talk to us ask us if we needed anything um, brought by some, you know, brought some extra firewood by after, uh, it rained and a, a lot of the wood got wet one night. Um, so just, she, she, uh, she deserves all, you know, five stars and more. But, um, I, I think that that was a, a very, very wise decision, decision, excuse me, <laughs> on, on your part. I'm curious to hear just a little bit more about, um, you, Eli, and, um, your, your, your day job, I guess, if you will, from my LinkedIn stocking, uh, it looks like you, uh, <laughs> run and own your own design firm. Um, and now you're, you and Alexa are in the short-term rental real estate business. 
Um, I, I'm curious, have you have you always been entrepreneurial? Uh, did you ever work in a quote unquote real job nine to five or have have you always been somebody to kind of take the road less traveled? Yeah, gosh, I think I, think I just like projects. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to I like to be busy. Um, yeah, creatively, I, I you know I started out my design career in agencies and kind of full time gigs and um learned pretty pretty quickly that that wasn't necessarily my my end all be all um i think i worked at taylor made in adidas golf as a like a senior designer for about four years in southern california and and uh it was a wonderful wonderful thing but after that i was like you know i'm gonna buy a little airstream trailer and and uh and kind of cruise around and do freelance for for a while so Huh. That was the beginning of my Before freelance. Yeah, my freelance career. And this it cracks me up now because there this was before van life. It was before Instagram. It was I don't want to make myself sound old. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really dating himself. Tell me about the internet. But it was before um all that good stuff, you know, that made it easier. So I think my first um I had my laptop and to get Wi-Fi, it was like the plug-in, broadband, flip-up kind of the side thing. And and if that didn't work, I'd go to, you know, park outside of McDonald's and try to, try to kind of snag their Wi-Fi to get stuff done. But did that for a year, um, just kind of traveling around, you know, state parks and BLM land and a little Airstream and then moved back to Montana and, and built, built a house here um, about a decade ago and then I think ultimately, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I've, I've never really called myself an entrepreneur. I don't think I've ever actually said those words, like meeting someone. But in a sense, yeah, I guess so. You know, I think ultimately I just like creative projects. And like in my off time, I, I like to work on old, you know, Volkswagens and motorcycles. And and I think... Uh, I, I've got a, a cat attacking my lap here. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, yeah. it looks like a cat just jumped up on uh, on Eli's lap there. <laughs> this, this is Maui, the estate cat. Um, yeah, I think um, I think I got it from my mom. She doesn't like to stand still either. She likes to she likes to be busy. So creatively, I think the silos were such a cool um, outlet because. It was totally untraditional and every single step of the way was a decision that needed to be made like on the fly or Mm. through a couple of quick um, sketches back and forth from from Cal, um, our builder. And um, yeah, you know, I think, shoot, there was like three or four sets of stair designs, you know. I also have sketches of those. (laughs) And and, uh, yeah, it was a circular space was... Um, very, very new for, for everybody and had its challenges. I mean, we, the, the first silo we built, um, we, uh, we used, we decided to use sheetrock for the interior hmm. and that was the total nightmare because 
it was it was fairly cold then we got like a little warm spell there um and cracks cracks everywhere so i had to go back and re-mud and re-tape and and after that decision we're like you know what nope no more sheetrock we're gonna go to quarter inch um plywood and do kind of like the board and bat look that you see in the majority of the silos we still do have one silo and sheetrock and it's holding up okay now just after kind of the the extra love we gave it but just certain little little things like that it was a it was a complete learning curve um every step of the way but but it and then you know a healthy one an inspiring one yeah because every day was pretty unique yeah 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 no that makes a lot of sense um alexa i'm i'm curious what is your favorite part of this whole operation right so Based off of what Eli just shared with me, it sounds like he likes to tinker. He's uh, easily distracted, maybe, and goes off on uh, this, you know, Project A over here, Project B over there. You know, um, what sort of uh, in sort of this evolving uh, family business, what do you enjoy most about it, and and where do you sort of find like your stride in the mix of all of it? Well, I think my job really was just. Um, the, the interior design portion of it and now <clears throat> I think my favorite part is the reviews like hmm. knowing that people are having a great time and it's been really cool in the last couple of weeks I have a business up in Whitefish and I've had clients come in that are like oh my gosh my friends from another state they stayed in your silos and and I'm you know they they bring news to me that they're people are having a good time Mm. or they were really impressed by the design or whatever it may be. I think that's pretty cool to make those, those connections. Um, and it's fun too. like last night, for example, we went out to dinner up in big fork and just ran into some folks that we haven't seen in a couple of years. And the wife had just sent the link to the silos to her husband the day before, but she had no idea it was us. Wow. Wow. And they're like, oh my goodness, yeah, that's right. making that connection. And they're like, oh my uh, gosh, that's you guys. That that's was, so that crazy. Was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been really fun just running into people that are not aware that they're ours and hearing the reviews from people that have stayed there is pretty awesome. Yeah. Have you guys have they have the silos been pretty booked since you put them up or sort of how talk to us a little bit about your expectations for whether or not the, cause there's five of them, but whether or not they'd all be booked compared to a reality. Have they, has it surpassed your expectations? Has it been underwhelming or talk to us a little bit about that? I get excited about stuff a lot faster than Eli does. Um, he actually doesn't get excited about anything unless you're like doing it and like on the road or whatever. If, if you're going on a vacation, he's not like excited beforehand. It's when you're actually going down the driveway. Um, but I, we, we kind of talked before they opened about whether or not they're going to be busy and like, Oh shoot, hope this works out. You know, um, I was pretty sure that it was going to work out, but Eli kept telling me not to count my chickens before they hatch. So I think he did a really good job at not setting an expectation. Hmm. Um, but to answer your question, they've been, they've been a hit. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's been so cool. People, people have been pretty pumped. I mean, just to go down there and actually hear it firsthand 
like that's you know sometimes i'll go down there and do some mowing or or water the grass and um to see people come out and just be like wow this is pretty magical like i don't know it's surreal really yeah and- they're moving fast though oh go we ahead go ahead having a glass we were having a glass of wine together the other night and we we're like gosh we miss hanging out down there because we've spent so much time down there yeah. during the process and Eli was like, well, let's let's get on Airbnb and see when we can book a night. And we couldn't even get in until after August. <laughs> that's so. awesome. Hey, that, that's a sign that it's working. That's a sign that it's working. And I mean, again, I know we said this at the at the beginning here, but like, you know, we scour Airbnb every week, look through thousands of listings for our business and have never come across list, a listing like your all's. And so I think that uh, it's only a matter of time before other people start taking silos and, you know, uh, using Clark family silos as an inspiration to to do their own. Um, but I think what you guys have done is, is just so unique and special and really hope that people will have the opportunity to stay there. You guys might need to build some more. I mean, I, I hope there are plans to, <laughs> to get cranking on that soon because uh, it sounds like you guys are already booked through. You'll, you'll be booked through the fall, uh, you know, before we know it. I don't know how our builder's going to feel about that. Uh, he'll, he'll get after it. <laughs> Eli, yeah. during our stay, you mentioned that your father had been pretty instrumental in helping you know these silos come to life. And you guys talked about, uh, I believe he was in the bar with you when you guys were you know sketching out what these structures could look like on your napkins. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit more about the specific role that, that he played? And you mentioned that he's either retired or on his way to retirement. Um, how does he see the silos kind of fit into his overarching legacy? <laughs> so kind of a fun, fun little, little inside joke. Um, we like to affectionately call my dad the foreman. <laughs> 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 because he, uh, he's not necessarily, you know, so, it boils down to he likes to, you know, come in around 11, 12 o'clock and work till around four or five. So he's the foreman. He puts in four hours. Four hours a day <laughs> or four days a week. That's usually his gig. No, no. We, That's gosh, amazing. He's, he's been so, he's been so incredible. Um, so he retired last year and then um, he's been just, just cranking on, helping out with the silos. Like I think he's went through 32 gallons of white paint and (laughs) (laughs) he's just been, just been crushing it. And I think ultimately, um, really, I don't know. It's been a really cool experience because we've, we've been able to spend a lot of time together working on the project and I think he's enjoying it and it's, um, it's just been a cool kind of bonding experience going through this whole journey because it's been day in and day out. And then to finally see the fruition of this project and, and literally I think the day before we had people coming in, we, we hung the metal sign out front and it's just like, oof. pretty special, moment. a little, a little bit heavy, you know, mm-hmm. a little heavy, very special. Um, yeah quite quite emotional really um to see it all come together and then on father's day 
my dad and I were having a having a beer and just saying saying hey for a minute um for dinner and um I showed him some of the reviews and kind of kind of got both of us a little bit for a minute there um very humbling and just grateful you know um for a project that has has been about a year and I guess two three months in the making and but it's you know it's a part of the part of the farm and part of the family so it's pretty cool his his father Brad he did a little bit of everything like if you know if we had paint to be done he did that if there was sanding to be done he did that if there were countertops to be made stair treads anything he was he was there and ready to work so he did a lot yeah and also do not want to exclude my my ma because she is like the full-on plant lady like she she's the (laughs) resident gardener she's the resident gardener she's uh just yeah she's the one that's given all the plants the love and and uh and a lot of people have commented on you know the cool little pots of flowers by the by the doors and um yeah she's that's kind of her gig and and that's her passion too so i think she was kind of chomping at the bit actually over the last (laughs) year like when can i plant some stuff down there Wow. So it really is a whole family affair. It's a whole family operation, which is which is just fantastic. Uh, it's, it's neat to be able to work on projects with people that you love and people that you respect and for everyone to feel like a stakeholder, right, in the success of this operation. I have just one more question for you guys. But before I ask this question, uh, I want to circle back because I think you guys, both of you, uh, said that there was a story behind the uh countertop uh that i think that you said you wanted to revisit oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah absolutely so um gosh the beautiful thing about the construction of these these silos is our our builder cal literally two miles away and our electrician ben deets mile and a half away um the all the lumber came from um, Ed Byrne, which is another mile and a half away. Like it's this super close knit circle like of a community project. Oh man, these community of these amazing individuals. Um, and that, like, to be completely honest, is what made this thing so enjoyable. And you know, I mean, it that's that's the only way it came together, hmm. really, because um, I, I became close friends with Ben, the electrician and Cal, um, built our house 10 years ago. And, and to have him back on this project was like, so, so incredible because he was the man for the job and up for, up for the challenge of building this like ridiculously crazy circular space. And, um, and, and, you know, we, we got super lucky too, because our, our construction project started three months before the big boom here in the Valley. Hmm. Um, there's a huge, huge building boom here. A lot of people are moving to our state and specifically our part of the state. So I think we got really lucky having these guys close to us that were ready and willing to work and excited to work too, that it was a creative project different than 
yeah. the other places that they were working on because they all had other projects going on, but they, they made it happen. Yeah. And then, yeah, just to touch on um, the material, like a lot of the material came from a sawmill from, from Ed, like two miles down the road. I would take the old 39 Dodge down there <laughs> and load up all these timbers um, day after day. And I mean, gosh, I feel incredibly grateful that the material, all this lumber came from like two miles down the road hmm. at like this, this beautiful little sawmill on his historic family farm. Like the, you know, his family has been in the Valley for as long as ours has, you know, probably three, four generations. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was a huge part of it. So thanks, Ed. yeah it really does sound like it wasn't just a family affair it was a a true community affair and and it's so neat too to now have right these these structures where different community members can come by and drive by and know that they had a part in in building this that's remarkably special yeah i think during the process um cal the builder he'd be down there working and people, neighbors, other community members would just swing by and kind of stop in and be like, what's going on here? And Cal happily gave tours the entire time he was working. He gave a lot of tours. tours. He also brought his family and his friends because he was really proud of the job he was working on, which was really cool for us to see. Yeah, that was kind of a joke for a while. I was like, we can't get anything done here because so many people are dropping by wondering what the hell is going on out here. But I mean, what made me feel really good is, you know, you're doing something a little new in a community and you know, you kind of don't really know how people are going to take it. Hmm. And not, not one, not one person was like, Oh man, you guys are doing, you guys are doing Airbnbs out here. We're going to get a lot more traffic and, uh, you know, not one negative comment. It was all like, oh, wow, we've been watching these. We've been super excited and curious. And it was very, very positive, which, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety there at, at the start. And it, it felt really good to hear that the community actually was supportive, totally supportive of it. There's a we have a friend that lives down the road and sh- she was like, it's been so cool to watch. There's a school right down the road from us. And she takes her kid there and she's like, every morning I would peek over and see what the progress was. And she's like, it's so cool now to see lights on in there and people there. And mm. it's just fun. So. Well, it also sounds like, I mean, one of the reasons I would imagine that the community has reacted so positively is something you guys said earlier about being really intentional about ensuring that these, you weren't doing a frames, you weren't doing little log cabins. You were, Mm -hmm. you, you were taking a structure, you were building a home that did fit into the natural landscape. And I think that that's just a, a testament to you all and your thought and intentionality there. And I think that that's probably right. A, a big reason why the community has been so receptive to, to these structures. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. my last question for you guys is uh, part observation and and then part question. So we've, again, stayed in several Airbnbs, um, I think over 50 at this point in the last year. And one of the things that we've noticed is, uh, you know, lots of the Airbnbs uh, that, that we've been fortunate enough to stay in, folks spend a lot of time 
and probably money on the interior design of the places. Uh, they've got nice sofas and nice beds and nice plants. And, you know, we very much appreciate all of those amenities. But you all have taken it a step further and gone beyond just interior design and been really intentional, at least uh, it seems as if you've been really intentional in crafting a unique experience design um, as as part of this stay. And I'm curious and 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 how that has how that has played out or how that played out at least in in our stay was, you know, the way that you guys have designed the fire pit to almost feel like it's like, an indoor outdoor living sort of experience. Uh, the chairs that you use that are uh, very easy to move between the little patio porch area down to the pits. Um, it you know the the windows and the window shades that go up and it makes you again feel like you're in this immersive outside experience. Um, the bag of coffee that you that you all leave right from a local roaster. Uh, the, the, all of those touches just add to the experience and it's so much more than just the look and feel of the space. So what advice do you have for other Airbnb designers and or entrepreneurs, Airbnb hosts about how to craft experiences, um, and not just stays? Well, I think we've visited personally, we've visited a lot of Airbnbs as well. And I think we just, we just gave you what we would want. You know, hmm. we like a nice fresh cup of coffee in the morning. So naturally we're going to put locally roasted beans in there for you to grind yourself so that it is nice and fresh. And we like to sit on the porch in the morning and watch the sun come up. So we gave you a porch with some chairs that you could then move to the fire at the end of the day and end your day you know, looking at the mountains and just being outside. And I think the design inside being very simple, that's how we live. Um, like our, our house inside is, it's a little more simple. Yeah. I think ultimately, um, yeah, everything, everything that you touched on there and then it made it, I think just feel that much more close to us. Like we touched on a little bit earlier that it was like our like family property. So it feels that much more special to share that experience. So we don't, we don't want to be um, the creators of this, uh, you know, of this, of this project that build it and walk away. Like to me to do that would feel really, um, just really distant you know i, I want to be close to this project for however, however many years it's um we're involved with it to be able to go down there and meet people and say hello and and yeah if there you know if there's a if there's a, a couple or a small family out there um having a little barbecue on the on the on the fire grate out front like that <laughs> that is so cool like and and if it's special or unique to them or maybe one of the first few times they've ever done that like that stays with them forever and then to be able to provide that um experiences i mean that's what makes it makes it all work so i guess the advice there is make it an extension of your home hmm. don't just yeah. set it up make it sterile and walk away you know make yeah it how you would like it to be yeah be be a part of it and um 
yeah, I think I think it's just the it boils down to the the experience of, of people having a having a memory and, and and taking that with them for a long time. I think that's I mean that's what's got me the most from reading the reviews we've gotten so far is just it, it strikes pretty deep in such a good way. Just like wow, like you know it's been such a churn and burn and hustle getting these things built and done and right and not skipping skipping corners and to hear people are actually having a really wonderful experience has been <laughs> yeah like a little bit breathtaking at times well guys eli alexa thank you so much for coming on today and sharing a little bit about your stories with us sharing the stories behind these silos i really appreciate it and I hope to be back. It was nothing short of magical. And for our listeners who are prospective guests uh, and want to check out these silos, we'll have links in the show notes where you can go and check it out. And it sounds like you might want to book fast because availability <laughs> is limited. Um, and then for you listeners who are hosts, uh, if you want to reach out and hear a little bit more from Eli and or Alexa about their experience and how they crafted, again, not just a beautiful space, but a full-on memorable experience, we will uh, have some contact information for them in the show notes as well. But thank you guys so much for, for coming on. It, it means a lot to me personally. It means a lot to our, our listeners and look forward to making our way back to Cali Spell at some point soon. Cool, thanks. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much, Zach. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.